Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 257 for Monday, August 7th, 2023. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixoris, and joining me as always is a slightly sleepy Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. If you would like to hear more about how I would like to be knocked out and how Johnny would like to prevent the power from being knocked out, then you should listen to The Render Distance. That's the extended version of the podcast. We record extra content every week and provide it to our patrons. And you can become a patron at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks. And this is a very special week. The spawn chunks is five years old as of this week. Happy birthday to us. And now on to business as usual. <laughs> yes, the, the Spawn Chunks is toddling around the room, bumping into things as we speak. But uh, it's it's been a pleasure to do this for five years. And uh, we really couldn't do that without the help of our patrons. I agree. And I, I you know, I, I, I really want to say how grateful I am for this podcast. And uh, I know we both put in a lot of work, but I really feel like it was kind of the perfect storm five years ago of a niche that could be filled two people that had the right combination of skill sets coming together to do something really fun. And, you know, I'm happy to, you know, call you a coworker and a friend, you know, over the last five years, which is, you know, something that I would have never dreamed of watching Pixel videos on Minecraft six years ago. So uh, it's uh, it's definitely a fun a fun way to to go about your day to day, and it is the first week of the month, which is a reason to give a huge shout out and thank you to all of our patrons that continue to support the show, not just month to month, but in some cases the entire five years. We have people that have been with us the entire run, which is just absolutely epic, and. You're a huge reason that Johnny and I can put the time into the spawn chunks to help bring you solid breakdowns of news, Minecraft discussions every week. And it just allows us the the freedom to kind of focus on this every Monday. And, and we can't thank you enough. And as patrons, you also enjoy extra content like the monthly Minecraft hangout discussing community builds, the quarterly hangout discussing podcast numbers and plans. And of course, as I mentioned, the bonus render distance audio for each episode. Speaking of Patreon, there has been a bit of lag on Patreon side this month with regards to some of the support billing. They're ironing out some kinks with a new payment processor. So some of our patrons may be seeing declined support payments. Patreon has reached out and is working on the issue. So don't worry. We're going to give it a few days. Let it get sorted out. Uh, there is a full post with details in the announcement section in our um, Discord, as well as a copy of the email that we got from Patreon. So we're just going to let the dust settle. There's usually a bunch of kind of odd things that happen around the, you know, first to the fifth of the month with Patreon anyway. Uh, but for anybody that has, you know, changed their subscription level or uh, is waiting for things like website credits or things like that to update uh, or... Uh, perhaps even Discord roles, depending on your support level. Just give it a few days. And if you have any questions, by all means, reach out uh, to myself or Johnny on Discord, and we will hopefully get you sorted out. From what I gather in your Minecraft life this week, uh, you've had a bit of a, a non-traditional week. Uh, you've stepped away from West Hill, and uh, you haven't really been doing much Minecraft. I was planning on doing some Minecraft and I was even planning on doing some server admin, you know, flying around in the end and getting rid of some of the old end portals. But uh, life and adulting pushed my Thursday and Saturday streams to non-existence and Friday went ahead. But Friday was the Lego Let's Chat and that was week two of the Lego Ideas Motorized Lighthouse, which is very technical build. Like I it's almost 
hard to chat because <laughs> I have to pay such close attention to the instruction manual as I'm building that. Very cool, but very complicated at the moment. R enjoying it a lot, though. Uh, so on Sunday, when I finally had a chance to stream uh, fresh-eyed and bushy-tailed from a solid night's sleep, I was also invited into the closed beta for Palea, which is not too different from Minecraft in some of its spirit. It's, it's definitely its own thing. Don't get me wrong. Uh, it's from... Um, Singularity 6, uh, the developer Singularity 6, and it is billed as a cozy MMO. I read an IGN review recently that compared it to a combination of World of Warcraft and Animal Crossing. And I think that's really accurate. I've not played Animal Crossing myself, but I've played a lot of World of Warcraft. And you basically are introduced into this um, village with... Uh, a, a race of pointy-eared uh, folks. I don't remember exactly the name of the race. I should remember this for this description. But essentially, you're just kind of learning skills like hunting, fishing, chopping wood, mining stone. You have to refine the wood and refine the stone to build You know your house. You have to get plans for the house. You have a plot where you can build the house. You can basically kind of put things down on a grid kind of within that that space the grid is in meters so like already it has like a very kind of minecraft adjacent feel you can do some things that are more interesting like you can put some pieces of furniture on an angle not everything is snapping to the grid the buildings are like 90 degrees from what i've been able to see but things like you know your workbench or your campfire or your wardrobe or your bed or whatever you can have those on angles if if that's what you want and uh i was going through and, and doing like a first playthrough on sunday really enjoyed the chill vibes it's got this nice uh i want to say mystery to it because you're kind of a human in a in an alien landscape or a mystical landscape and they're kind of not sure how you got there and you're trying to figure that out and so unlike minecraft it has this story that compels you to go forward and as you go through and meet the different npc villagers you're given the tutorial so how Minecraft kind of gives you like the tool pop-ups in the corner when you like punch a tree and do all that kind of stuff and you get the uh, recipe book and, and progress through tool making. Here it's like, oh, you're new. We should, we should give you a tent or something. And then you learn how to make the tent. And through that process, you learn how to chop down wood. The innkeeper says, hey, you know what? I've got a spare ax. Here you go. So you don't, you start from scratch, but you've got friends to kind of help you out and get along the way. And the whole idea behind the MMO aspect of this is that it's more fun to get through this with friends. And so you can put like little indications online in the same way that you could put out a message on a Minecraft server to your friends be like, hey, does anybody have any spare quartz? I'm doing this really cool build, but my gosh, is quartz a slog at this stage in the game? And then someone comes by with quartz and says, hey, do you have any carrots? Or do you have any, like you do a little bit of a trade. And this is the sort of thing that's happening in this game in Palea is that you can say, hey, I really need some of like this, whether it's like stink bugs or, you know, wood or whatever it is. And then if people want to, then they can come by and help you out. So it's got that kind of community thing going on for it. Uh, there are a lot of similarities in the early game mechanics, chopping trees, mining stone, collecting resources, refining resources in special tables. And there were some interesting differences as well. Something that I noticed right away is that food doesn't replenish your hunger. 
as far as I can tell, you can't die in Palea. So that's where it goes away from World of Warcraft and goes much more towards Animal Crossing, where you're just kind of living and moving around and doing stuff. You're not really adventuring. There doesn't seem to be any risk. It's more about time investment versus visual and story reward coming out. And food replenishes your focus. So by consuming food, you then get more XP on your skills and your skills are mining, gathering, fishing, you know, carpentry, like that kind of stuff. And so as long as you're keeping yourself well-fed, then you're going to increase your cooking skill, but then you're also going to be able to focus and increase your building skills faster, which is what people want to do in the game is like build and decorate and that kind of stuff. And the other things that I noticed right away was that your entire inventory is organized into three or four hot bars that you can switch between quite quickly. And I thought, what a really neat way to help with like limited inventory space. So rather than constantly opening up your inventory and always moving things around like in Minecraft to figure out like which things do you want on your hotbar, you just have the hotbar set up and then you just like control mouse wheel scroll and you go through your different hotbars. And I thought that was fantastic. Right, yeah. Uh, I've seen that. Yeah, I've seen that before. It happens on um, Satisfactory. It gives you multiple hotbars as well. But Palea is simpler. It's more straightforward. There's less hotkeys to press. Like it's a very simple uh, approach to it. And your tools. So your hoe, your axe, your pickaxe, your fishing uh, rod, your watering can for farming. All of those things are in their own inventory. And it's a pop-up wheel. I'm not sure how many games you've played that you might have seen this kind of interface where you hold down the button like R and then like a, a, a pie-shaped wheel from like um, Trivial Pursuit kind of shows up. And you just kind of mouse over the one that you want, let go, and then you equip that item. Yeah, that's and very Animal Crossing. Those... Animal Crossing had like oh, a, is it? Okay. A, a tool wheel like that. Yeah. I've only seen Animal Crossing. I've never played it myself. My, mm -hmm. my niece played it. And I think my sister does too, actually. And it's all separate from your inventory. So these six tools are not part of the hotbars at all. So it's just, it's it means you have way more space starting off in the game when you're collecting all kinds of stuff. Cause you don't know what these things are. It's like, I don't know if this flower is important or not. I'm just going to pick it up, you know? And the the chest that you put down has something like 400 slots. So there's, there's a certain amount of, we've, looked at other gathering survival games that are out there that are popular and have that kind of cozy vibe to them figured out where the pain points are early game and kind of helped to streamline that mm -hmm. i did find myself kind of mashing on some minecraft hockey so i did make some adjustments to the to the key commands and stuff like that in paleo because i was definitely opening up things with the wrong button and it's like okay <laughs> muscle memory is taking over i need to put something on the e key and i need to do something with my i think i changed my sprint to the same sprint in minecraft so i just wasn't like completely lost all the time um but i liked it so far and so for folks that are out there if you enjoy minecraft if you've played animal crossing i know this is a, a minecraft podcast but if you're looking for something a little bit different paleo is in beta it's paleo.com we'll have a link to the um, game in the show notes and it has a very similar vibe but it removes things like zombies and skeletons there is a day night cycle but it doesn't impede anything you can still do all the things that you want if anything it's kind of cool in that some of the bugs that you want to collect uh, and some of the fish that you want to get are only available at night like depending on the time of day you go looking for that kind of stuff you're going to find different things so that's kind of cool yeah uh, the other games i've seen it compared to are runescape and stardy valley because of the sort of farming Stardew and the, Valley. the kind of different yeah. skills. I mean, Stardew Valley has a similar sort of, you know, if you're not going out and risking things, then 
it's a very cozy, very safe feeling game. You're not you're not forced into combat situations. You know, you've got a limited amount of energy for the day and the worst thing that happens is like you maybe like don't get to bed early enough and you kind of pass out and then you just respawn in your house the next day with slightly less energy and that's kind of it. Like it's it's good that there's not a real way of punishing players. It can kind of get a little bit grindy when stuff like that happens. So I think I like the idea of it being a little bit more, I don't know, not pacifist as such, but a little bit more peaceful, yeah. I suppose. I think the real grind part is going to happen when like, because things take real time. So like when you're refining your 100 logs, you get one plank for one log and it takes like 30 seconds or more for sure, one yeah. plank and you need 100 of those. So like you really have to like manage your time and figure out, okay, I'm going to leave these in here and, and go away. I don't know if that stuff happens while you're offline. So like, I don't know if the logs and the stone that I put in my my um, smelter and my um, stone cutter, I don't know what it was called, sawmill. Um, I don't know if those are going now while I'm offline or whether you have to have the game loaded and you have to be standing there. I'm not really sure. There's usually enough in these kind of games where like you kind of put those things in their machines and you go do something else. You know, you, you go fishing or you do you go visit the characters. And I've several people in my chat compared it to Stardew Valley in that you can romance and, and talk to and befriend different villagers. So depending on how you want to roll uh, your character in the world, you can talk to different people and become friends with them. And that then gets you like different reactions so like if you're really good friends with say the innkeeper but then somebody else in the village doesn't like him then you might have a harder time dealing with that other person because they know that you're buddy buddy with the innkeeper sure i haven't gotten that far something i really liked about the dialogue options was that they present you with between two and four options and each one is represented by an element earth air fire and water and fire is like a more passionate response air is usually a more thoughtful and 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 patient response earth is really grumpy and water tends to be a little on the on the neutral to sarcastic side sometimes <laughs> so mm -hmm. like it's really funny how you can like talk to people and you end up saying like oh you're more of an air personality and like it's a real thing in the world they actually refer to one another as like oh they're definitely an air oh they're very fire like that kind of stuff it's really really interesting so i i think that i mean i know you don't have a lot of time but i think given your stardew valley uh playthroughs i think that paleo might be something that you or or any of the people listening might be interested in and really why i bring it up is because of the inventory things that i noticed as like those feel like really solid potential changes that minecraft could make to alleviate some of the crunch in the inventory by having like some sort of tool wheel or separate inventory for those items in your in your hotbar that still have the same sort of like quick access quick pvp switching like all that kind of stuff not that there's pvp in paleo but i could see that being applied to minecraft and working quite well yeah definitely uh some stuff that they can learn from game design wise or at least yeah be be taking notes and be observing what else is going on in the the gaming landscape um in my gaming landscape my pc is finally back uh as you might be able to tell from the change in sound quality if you're a keen-eared listener of the show uh, but i talked about that a bit in the the render distance uh, i've been playing minecraft again since last thursday uh so i've had the pc back for almost a week now and playing minecraft again felt weird for maybe the first five minutes just something about like the 
motion of the game and like rushing around and sprinting and stuff like that like it it, it was kind of like um getting my sea legs again <laughs> i suppose um but once i was a bit better adjusted the first task as i mentioned last week was to make an episode all about horses donkeys mules camels the rideable mobs excluding llamas uh, because i don't consider llamas necessarily rideable you can ride them but it doesn't do a whole lot you've got to lead them around for best effect and i also don't have a convenient location to find llamas aside from the wandering trader um but they're kind of next on the list i think of of stuff i want to do um this morning i have been working a bit on a blacksmith build that's going to go around my furnace array that i set up or potentially remodel the furnace array to better fit the house um and also have a place where it feels like the horses that i brought back can you know have shoes fitted and that kind of thing kind of working on a bit more of the reasons why builds are there in my world instead of just building something for the sake of it and then i think i'm probably going to go out and find sniffers and a few other bits and pieces this week but really i'm just getting back into the rhythm of playing minecraft again so haven't made a huge amount of progress since uh having the pc back but have at least managed to get a, a few good hours in i'm looking forward to the return to the survival guide uh i, I mean i've been keeping up and it's always really interesting and fun to switch from watching survival servers where people tend to go end game very quickly it tends to be focused on big projects and big builds and i really enjoy the i wouldn't say slower pace but the more intentional pace that the survival guide takes and it's always cool i think when you're following different minecraft creators to see someone in their world where they don't have to worry about anybody else and just kind of let their own, you know, freedom and creativity fly. I mean, I know you've got obviously the tutorial thing kind of guiding you through, but I just, I'm curious to see what's going to happen with like your super smelter and like all that kind of stuff. Yeah. 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 I, I think I'm still feeling it out. I'm still finding out like what my build style is for this area and where I want to differ that and, and what I'm going to do in terms of resource farms early on, that's going to sort of speed me into the next stage of things but for now i'm happy taking it at a, a reasonable pace and i'm probably going to get back into the modded server and play a bit more on new life now that my my pc is fixed and i have fewer concerns about that but uh yeah we'll see uh, what i have time for so there may be a couple of updates here and there and that's all create mod and a variety of other things that are going to be kind of fun to play around with Naturally, just as I had finished uploading episodes about villagers, Mojang decided to release a snapshot. Um, this week's snapshot is 23W31A. It was released on August 2nd and is the first snapshot for Minecraft 1.20.2. The snapshot introduces a new experimental feature toggle that updates certain features, kind of similar to how the experimental toggle has worked in bedrock edition betas you have to turn this on in the experiments menu when creating a new world if you want to test for example this week's new librarian and wandering trader trades mojang has encouraged community feedback as work continues and will help them decide on the future direction for villager trades there's a link to submit feedback in the minecraft.net changelog article and we'll have that linked in our show notes as well so the main thing to talk about, new experimental features in 23W31A is a rebalance of villager trades. We'll quote directly from the article here. Before these changes, players could get any village enchantment from any librarian. A novice librarian could sell the best enchantments in the game. For some players, this felt too random and made trading feel overpowered when compared to using the enchanting table or searching for enchanted books in structures. 
With the new rules, librarians from different biomes sell different enchantments, and each village biome has one enchantment that is only sold by master librarians. Players will have to work towards getting the best trades instead of relying on random chance. We hope this makes librarian trading more interesting and skillful, while also revealing some clues about their history of each village type through the enchantments that are sold there." End quote. So librarians from different biomes now sell different enchanted books. Each village biome has one special enchantment that's only available from master librarians, those who you've traded up with full XP and gone through all of their trades until you reach the final set of trades that you can unlock. This means players have to visit all seven village biomes to get the full set of enchantments that you can acquire from villager trading. This means that there are obviously the two secret village biomes where villagers do not generate and players have to build a village or at least cure or breed villagers in those biomes to access their trades. Some enchantments have been removed from villager trading and have to be found in other ways. Now, the article provides a table of which villagers will provide which trades and I'll summarize a couple of them here. For example, a desert village the special book there is Efficiency 3, so you have to trade with a master librarian before they'll trade you an Efficiency book, and Efficiency 3 is the maximum you'll receive. They also trade Fire Protection, Thorns, and Infinity. If you look at a Snow Village, Snow Village's special book is Silk Touch, so the Master Librarians there will always trade you a Silk Touch book. They also have Aqua Affinity, Looting, and Frostwalker books available to trade. To get hold of a mending book now, you would have to trade with a swamp librarian all the way to master level. Swamp librarians would also sell you Depth Strider, Respiration, and Curse of Vanishing books. And the table makes a point of noting that jungle and swamp villagers do not generate naturally, and that the Sweeping Edge enchantment is one of the ones from the Savannah village, but that's only available in Java edition currently. Alongside these, some changes have also been made to the Wandering Trader. Wandering Traders now have lower prices and a higher amount of each item in stock. Wandering Traders also have a chance to sell logs, enchanted iron pickaxes, or potions of invisibility. And they will now buy many items, including water bottles, water buckets, a bucket of milk, fermented spider eyes, four baked potatoes, or a hay bale, kind of indicating what the Wandering Trader wants from you to continue his adventures. In a few changes that were also made outside of the villager trading changes, diamond ore is now generated more frequently in the deep slate layers of the overworld. Curing a zombie villager now only gives a big discount for the first time. There is no longer a bonus discount for reinfecting and curing the same villager multiple times. Barrier blocks can now be waterlogged by players in creative mode. Water cannot be placed in them or taken out by non-direct interactions like dispensers. Players will no longer be able to crouch while riding vehicles if you'd bound crouch to something other than the shift button, and chorus flowers no longer provide support for hanging or standing blocks. There are a few technical changes along with this snapshot as well. The resource pack version and data pack version are now 16. History of used commands is now saved and accessible across worlds. They've optimized the way chunks are sent to clients to allow players with low bandwidth internet connections to play better on multiplayer servers. They've added support for multi-version packs, changed network protocol to allow for more data-driven content in the future, added new log IPs option to the server.properties file, validation for symbolic links in data packs and resource packs to add to the symbolic link support that was added in previous snapshots, 
And when hitboxes are displayed through F3 and B, entities that have a passenger will also display the passenger's attachment point. There's a breakdown of each of these technical changes if you're unsure of what any of them means, along with a list of bug fixes that were too numerous and complex to name here. Uh, all of that is available on the Minecraft.net changelog for this snapshot that is linked in our show notes. Minecraft Bedrock Edition Beta and Preview version 1.20.30.20 was released on August 3rd. The experimental changes we've outlined in the Java Edition snapshot also came to the Bedrock Edition in the Beta and Preview. This update includes a bunch of Bedrock-specific bug fixes and gameplay tweaks. There were too many to list here, but it's worth checking out the change log linked in our show notes if you're interested in reading up on all the changes to Bedrock Edition. So naturally, these villager trades were the thing everybody immediately wanted to discuss. And it's a pretty big change for people who've been used to villager trading as part of the vanilla game. So much so that I think we're going to save that for our main discussion topic this week. We also have an email that kind of ties into that stuff a little bit. So we're saving the majority of our thoughts for the main discussion after we've dealt with a little bit of listener email. Um, but there is a bit of other stuff to discuss in the snapshot, like the diamond ore distribution changes. I haven't been into the snapshot in survival myself to really check out this stuff, so I think that's probably something I will do later in the week. But I think overall this sounds like good news. A, if they're making mending more rare, you know, players are going to be needing more diamonds for additional tools and armor and repairs and that kind of thing. And they've also just added armor trims and netherite upgrade templates that require you to duplicate them with diamonds. So there are a lot more reasons to use diamonds now, even before the changes in this snapshot take effect or don't, depending on the fact that they're experimental right now and some of this could still be subject to change. But how do you feel about there being more diamonds in Deep Slate levels, Joel? I'm on board. Uh, the last time that I went mining for diamonds, it actually wasn't for myself it was part of an abba caving event but it was the first time i really sent an earnest effort into the depths to try and get more diamonds than my you know server mates that i was competing against and i find it very very slow and i remembered thinking man if i was starting a new world and this was how i was going to get diamonds this is going to be a bit of a slog and uh, i'll give a shout out to a friend of the show uh Eximavoid, who put out a video covering the snapshot as uh they often do and they did this thing where they removed all of the deep slate and revealed all of the ore blocks left behind. And you could very clearly see that there was a decent amount of diamonds. I, the comment that Exumavoid made was that it, it rivaled the amount of redstone that was lying around in deep slate. And uh, I think it's good to increase the diamonds. I think that if, if people are feeling it's a bit of a grind because deep slate is slower to get through and we don't yet have an enchantment that increases the pick speed for going through deep slate, then I think having more diamonds around is better. Even if it's not more frequent, but perhaps the nodes are just larger. So instead of finding one or two, you're always going to find three or four. That would probably help. Because then at least the, even if the distance between finding uh, diamonds is the same, at least the reward is more exciting, you know? Did Azuma's video have anything about the distribution when it comes to air exposure? Because I know that's a lot of people's major problem is that you have to go digging into the rock in order to find diamonds as opposed to them being like on the surface in caves. I presume they're still mostly like hidden in walls and in aquifers and that kind of thing. They were mostly hidden in walls. I don't remember a comment to that effect, but the, the the graphic nature in which the deep slate was removed was really cool. Actually, it was like this. It was like this wave. It was like erasing the deep slate one slice at a time mm -hmm. in like four different directions as a big, you know, set of chunks. Like a perimeter just kind of got cleared one slice at a time. And 
I don't remember seeing many caves. It, it felt like it was mostly within the rock, you know, within yeah. the deep slate that they were being revealed. So still the kind of thing that you'd need to do a branch mine or something to find, but your branch mine is going to potentially be a lot more productive. And uh, yeah. yeah, hopefully that's that's going to be the case. Well, I mean, at least Fortune is still an enchantment that you can get at its highest level from an enchantment table, whereas in the new villager trades, you'd have to find it from a tiger village that would only trade you Fortune 2. So there's, mm. <laughs> there's definitely some advantages there, especially in the early game, to get as many diamonds as possible using Fortune. But... Uh, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting to see how it changes the grind overall. And we'll, we'll lump all of the zombie villager curing stuff into our discussion about villagers as well, because it seems like it's, uh, you know, part and parcel of those changes. Um, and the rest of the stuff in this is largely technical. I don't use barrier blocks a great deal, except when I'm maybe posing some stuff for a special thumbnail for a video, mm -hmm. but I don't tend to use them much. And obviously, as a mainly a survival player, I don't even have access to them. The other stuff just seems to be very minor tweaks. So I think that's really all to say about the uh, the snapshot change log. Unless you had anything else you wanted to highlight. No, I think email is uh, probably the next step in our uh, in our ladder today. And uh, if folks want to send an email into the show, that can be sent to spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Please keep them short and to the point. Uh, really enjoy the responses to episodes as of late. We have a lot of people writing in saying, hey, Here's a contribution to uh, something that you said last week, and that is true of Iche, our first emailer this week, reaching parity. Hey, Joel and Johnny, longtime listener and enjoyer of the podcast. In the most recent episode, 256, of the podcast, you discussed one area in which Bedrock Edition differed from Java Edition by keeping potions in cauldrons. This, along with Mojang's constant moving towards parity between the editions, has caused me to ask a lot of questions about parity in Minecraft. As a Bedrock player myself, I have been asking for more use of the offhand for many years now, and this is certainly my most pertinent desire. However, a friend who mainly plays Java recently joined my realm and began to experience bedrock systems such as the importance of trident killers and the ease at which we are able to obtain tridents. This helped me realize that for true parity, maybe bedrock shouldn't be the only addition that changes to align with Java. Are there any mechanics in bedrock that interest you to the point of desiring them in Java? Do you think that having two different systems is a good thing and adds diversity to the game? Thank you so much for your time and your thoughts. Aiche was crushed under a pile of tridents that he had collected in just one hour of hunting the drowned. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, certainly a um, a reason for for Java players to be better uh, jealous of Bedrock players is the uh, the. The, the ease of access i think they they even changed it recently to where you don't have as easy a time getting dridents on bedrock edition but it's still wildly different in terms of drop rate and everything else yeah i i don't know a lot about bedrock so i'm gonna have to defer to your experience there uh off the top of my head and I mean the wiki uh, before the show, uh, dying water and cauldrons. I know I've mentioned that on the show before because I did that textile shop in West Hill and I wanted to have cauldrons full of dyed liquid around that looked like fabric dye. And I thought that would have been cool. And then somebody in our chat said, oh, you can do that in bedrock. I was like, what? Why can't you do that in Java? That seems so easy. You know, um, pistons can bush block entities. I always forget that because again, I don't play bedrock. Um, but I think something that I, I have done unintentionally is 
I've installed a mod on the Citadel called Smooth Swapping, and I'll have a link to it in the show notes. And all it is is just a UI animation. So when you move an item from your inventory to your chest or other container, you see it go, you see it animate. And I find it easier to, one, know that I'm putting something away and that it's going into the right place and easier to find things because I sort of have like a peripheral vision of like that went to the lower right of my inventory. I saw it go so that when I'm looking in my inventory to find out where the feather went or whatever, you know, or, or if it's something more uh, difficult to spot, like the variations of deep slate, like where did that crack deep slate brick go? I know it went kind of like low right. So I'm, I'm able to find things easier. Um, but that apparently is is how Minecraft Bedrock just operates vanilla. You just see stuff go back and forth. So I didn't realize that the mod that I installed for Clarity was actually designed to mimic, you know, Bedrock in Java. There are also inventory opening and closing animations. The inventory kind of like fades in a little bit when you open it sometimes. And I tend to turn those off when I play Bedrock Edition just because I'm used to it opening instantly and closing instantly from Java. But um, yeah, there's certainly some stuff like that which might feel a bit more of a, a modern and smoother experience to people who are more used to, to playing different games. Um, for me, there's a couple of maybe slightly more technical things. You've already mentioned the, the dying water in cauldrons. I think that's a, a really fun one. Um, I think the ability to see coordinates without the entire F3 debug screen wall of text would kind of be huge. Um, and Bedrock oh, yeah. Edition just has that as a toggle in your options. It's not like they don't have a, a debug view on, on Bedrock Edition, so you don't see all of the relative chunk coordinates and that kind of things. But coordinates are still something that we rely upon for matching the coordinates of nether portals to make sure you're portals match up for certain things and i think stuff like that is is actually really really useful so it would be really nice to have a way to display coordinates without having to have this giant wall of all of the other information on there and i think there is a way to see a reduced debug view but it removes stuff like coordinates <laughs> i think it's really meant to be so that players who hit f3 can't necessarily always see where they are on multiplayer servers and stuff like that so i sort of want the other way around <laughs> i want to see just the coordinates and nothing else for that of course there is stuff like coordinates hard from vanilla tweaks which i think does it better than the bedrock edition version because the bedrock version is just a plain text kind of printed uh, version of your coordinates that's always in the top left and it's always white text on a black background and i think integrating it into the hud more elegantly like the coordinates hud mod does i think is a really a really good way of doing it or like something like zero's minimap which i'm sure you're very familiar with at this stage yeah having, that's how i have my coordinates yeah. yeah having the coordinates kind of printed on screen and the direction that you're facing so you know when you're looking north and you have to look at the angle of the sun and that kind of thing um so there's bits and pieces like that um, the ability to see what color a dyed sheep is, even when you've sheared it, that's something that I believe is a texture thing on Bedrock Edition, where you can see that the sheep is red, like the spots of wool that are left on it after it's been sheared are still red, so you know that you're waiting for a particular color of sheep to regrow its wool. Little quality of life things like that. It's never about the big changes for me, because obviously we start talking about redstone, and we start talking about trident killers, and I think the trident killer thing is sort of immaterial it's a good way to afk kill stuff when you don't want to set up like an auto clicker to kill stuff with a sword but java edition has sweeping edge and that allows you to kill a lot of mobs very quickly and easily in the same way that a trident killer would so it's kind of you know different strokes for different folks i think in in that respect um yeah so i i, th I think there's there's a couple of minor things on bedrock edition that i think could be brought over 
I do generally think that having two different systems to answer the, the final question of this email is a good thing for the game because it gets people talking about Minecraft and kind of comparing the differences. I think the main problem for me as somebody who likes to create video content from Java Edition Minecraft is making sure I know what all of the differences are and that I'm not misguiding players into thinking a feature is available on their version, which it's not. Like for the longest time before shields could be decorated with banners in Bedrock Edition, which was only done very recently, I used to get a lot of people telling me that they couldn't do it and that they thought I'd installed some kind of mod or I'd somehow cheated in order to get a design on my shield. And it was really just the fact that that feature didn't exist in Bedrock Edition for the longest time. So yeah, honestly, I do think it's a good thing that these games sort of have two different player bases and two different cultures around them. And it leads to some really interesting differences in the way the technical game is played. Gold farms are very different on Bedrock Edition and arguably better if you're building a sort of overworld portal ticking gold farm. Um, you know, th there's a whole variety of different bits and pieces about Bedrock Edition that are unique in their own way and it would be a shame to lose them if the mechanics became aligned with Java Edition. Likewise, Java Edition Redstone is held up as like, this is what the technical community wants to use. So it's kind of difficult to imagine them ever being brought together in a way that's going to satisfy everybody. I understand some of the technical changes and technical differences, I guess I should say, like pushing block entities, like that kind of stuff. I know that it's just the code is different and that's why that they were able to do that in Bedrock. And I agree that, you know, having the two different systems allow for that discussion where I find it a little bit short-sighted stuff like the sheep thing, you know, or the shield textures. Like when it's something as simple as a texture is just different from one to the other, that I kind of question. I was like, well, that's a really easy fix. Like that doesn't seem like something that would be that hard. I know it's not a priority. I mean, they want to fix bugs and, and they want to, you know, work on systems first. But I do feel like when stuff like that is is lagging behind and causes confusion, like, you know, you were saying with your videos, I think that that's uh, more of a straightforward fix. And I'd, I'd be heavy on visual parody but then i'd say probably neutral for the most part and that's someone that doesn't play both if i played both then i i would maybe have a stronger opinion but i can i can see why they'd have have some differences yeah and there are i'm sure things about bedrock edition that have escaped my mind right now <laughs> that i'll probably come back to in future episodes because next time we have a bedrock edition player on the show like when prowl 8413 came on the show a while ago it's always really interesting to hear what they have considered like an advantage of bedrock edition over java for a while so kind of curious and any other bedrock edition players feel free to write in with your opinions also our next email is going to kind of tee up our main discussion. This one comes in from the Nuki, who is a landscape artist member of our Discord, and the subject is changes for a symptom. Hi, Johnny and Joel. I want to address the newest snapshot with the villager changes, book trades to be specific. The following thoughts are my personal opinion and might not resonate with everyone. These are changes for a symptom, but not the underlying problem. I think the reason why book trading plays such a central role in Minecraft trading is because the enchanting system leaves the player with so little control and so much frustration. It's not so much a problem to people who play this game for a living or have a lot of time on hand, I'm talking from the perspective of an adult with limited time. And the simple question is, do you want to rinse and repeat the enchantments that come up, collecting levels over again for hours to get the enchantments you need to proceed with your project? The experience is so bad, and I think librarian trading halls are the player-made solution for that. Minecraft players actually want to play the game. 
I know many people will not be bothered by the change to book trades, they may even enjoy it as Mojang intends it, and there's nothing wrong with that. What I see is that Mojang is trying to block a player-made workaround. I think the only way to get everyone on board with that is to treat the underlying problem, the time-consuming and unrewarding process of enchanting. It's a magic system, make it fun. Mojang has proven over and over that they are capable of balancing effort versus reward. That's why spreading out the different enchanted book trades over various biomes and capping the max level available to trade feels so incomplete to me. It's just nerfing, not improving. I just hope that enchanting is also on Mojang's to-do list, otherwise people will find yet another workaround to gain back control over enchantments, either in the vanilla game or with data packs. My question for a potential discussion is, how could villager book trades be improved without angering a large number of players, and what are your initial thoughts on this? Very interested in other perspectives, maybe I've missed the point. Love the podcast, and greetings to the amazing community. The Nuki perished due to a broken heart because her enchantment combinations were too expensive. Death by level 30 snoo snoo. <laughs> oh no. Um, yeah, so... As I mentioned earlier, we are we are planning on talking about this in the main discussion. This is the, the villager trade rebalance. To briefly recap from the earlier changelog, librarians from different biomes will sell different enchantments, and each village biome only has one enchantment that is sold by master librarians. So 23W31A also introduced the changes to the Wandering Trader and eliminated stacking discounts by zombifying and curing villagers multiple times. Uh, why don't you give us your overall thoughts on this, Joel, and then we'll address more of the specific points in the Nuki's email. So I'll start with a, a giant asterisk that as a bit of an outlier here on a six-year-old server, we already have a basic trading hall set up in Dartmouth Meadows. It's not fully optimized. We've not put in the time to like cure villagers over and over again with zombies and, and uh, enchanted apples and all that kind of stuff. It's a bit disorganized the last time I was through there, uh, indicating that it's not used all that often because I think everybody has the tools that they need and every once in a while someone might lose something. But when people have netherite gear, you're not even losing that in lava anymore. It's really only void losses that need to be replaced. And uh, as far as I can tell, I don't deal with villagers that much unless I absolutely have to. So my opinion on this tends to be skewed by I don't really need to go hunting for villagers right now. So I'm kind of try, trying to project what it would be like if I wanted to set up a, a trading hall. I had been thinking about setting one up myself personally and the sci-fi area that I was thinking about starting as my next project was going to be kind of like that, you know, aliens have kidnapped villagers trading hall kind of idea to kind of, you know, I guess, put some lore behind why they're all in one by one cells and being, you know, used for their, their goods. Sure. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of where I I sit on it because I I know that the points I'm going to make are going to be skewed by the fact that I just don't like dealing with villagers and as a result we really haven't leaned into them very heavily on the server and there's less of a need for them when you've got an established world that's rolling from one um, update to the next very different than you where not only do you start the world over again from time to time but you also are giving a tutorial on how to deal with these villagers and moving through the trades and how that either benefits or doesn't you know you and 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 the people that are watching yeah it's also worth noting that this isn't a change that's coming in 1.21 right it's not coming in the next major update it's going to be in a dot release for the current version of minecraft and so it's a, a change that I'm going to have to address fairly soon in the survival guide, and definitely not mm. one that I'm planning on restarting the world for. In fact, 
I think the curious aspect of this and the fact that I've already started trading with villagers and I already have a mending trade from a librarian I found in an igloo really close to my house is that there are going to be some villagers in long-term worlds which are different and unique from any other experience of Minecraft going forward because they're going to be Plains villagers who can trade you a mending book as the first trade in their list, you know? This happened to me in the first season of the Minecraft Survival Guide when I started in 1.13, and obviously villager trading was very differently, you know, you had to like breed up a ton of villagers just to get whatever random trades they were able to give you and you couldn't re-roll their professions and everything. And then once 1.14 came in, they were still adjusting a lot of the trades as they went and nerfing a couple of things that created trading loops. I think the bookshelf trade from librarians got changed so they didn't trade you as many or something like that. And so... Later on, I ended up with a bunch of villagers with a very different set of trades than what was now the standard for Minecraft after 1.14.3 or whatever it would be. So yeah, it was it was a really interesting time, and I'm kind of enjoying the fact that I'm going to have a couple of unique villagers in that world for as long as I care to continue it, because I am planning on, you know, moving forward into future versions of the game through this world. And overall... I think personally I'm in favour of the villager trading changes even when it comes to the approach to new worlds because as with a lot of the other changes at 1.20 and I think this feels like a good follow-up to what they're trying to encourage with 1.20 is that it encourages a more holistic bigger picture approach to playing Minecraft. It encourages the player to travel and explore and it readjusts the value of enchantments from fishing and dungeon loot for example. The main problem being that fishing and dungeon loot are nowhere near as reliable a source of the enchantments you cannot get from the enchantment table, like Mending and Frostwalker. And I think that's really the sticking point for a lot of players, is that Mending is so, I guess, endemic to the way people like to play at endgame, that making that harder to get hold of feels like adding an unnecessary hurdle to players who've been playing the game for this long and are going to be you know, resetting their worlds and are fairly certain that they're going to have to encounter this sooner or later. I think it's going to be a bit easier for people on multiplayer servers because there's going to be that one person who's interested in just going out to a swamp and trading with villagers immediately. But I think my main problem with this overall is the requirement to cure or breed jungle and swamp villagers to get books like Unbreaking and Mending. I mean, specifically Mending because it can't be obtained in many other reliable ways. And for me, it's it's that aspect that it's based in esoteric knowledge, you know, like it's fairly uncommon that players are going to luck into those types of villagers. I don't know that many people who prefer to build in swamp biomes, so you're not necessarily going to encounter a zombie villager there and go, hey, that, that villager looks a little bit different, let me try, you know, curing them from, from zombie status and then think, oh, I'll make this guy a librarian, and then, you know, go through all of the steps to eventually get the mending book out of them. So you need to target that specifically. You need to know swamp villagers are a thing, and you need to know that trading with them to max is going to take you to mending. And obviously that encourages community knowledge sharing, but to the people who are just playing Minecraft casually, playing Minecraft with a lack of information and don't know where to get hold of that stuff, they're rarely, if ever, going to have the opportunity to make it to that point where they can trade mending reliably. And I looked at the the chunk-based map for the survival guide world seed. 
My nearest swamp is 1500 blocks away, it's not too bad. But after that, the nearest one is 5000 blocks away. And you end up with the problem I had in Survival Guide Season 2, where the nearest desert and other like biomes that I thought were fairly crucial to you know, continued gameplay and getting hold of large quantities of certain resources, thousands of blocks away in my world. Perhaps trivial with a nether hub, but for the average player, from the Nuki's perspective as somebody who, you know, is a busy adult and doesn't have time to play Minecraft all of the time, it's a lot of effort going in to get hold of something that we think of as, like, baseline quality of life for us right now. I like your point that mending is, like, the bar for endgame playstyle, and I think that reinforces one of the Nuki's points in that what does mending do it removes the need to deal with either the enchanting table or the villagers ever again as long as you have the pick that you want once it's got mending you can just keep on repairing it you don't you don't really have to re-enchant new gear and i think that that speaks to the reason for its popularity uh and i agree with basically everything that you said the um removing the randomness of villager trades and turning it more into a progressive thing makes sense to me i like that i prefer to have a linear way of trading with a villager to get something that i know is coming rather than something random i can make peace with the different biome thing i'm not thrilled about it but that comes with my personal dislike for dealing with and moving villagers so sure we're gonna have to move around to different biomes to get very specific things i did like that the choices that they made for the enchanted books that are in different biomes felt thematic like Frostwalker from a snowy biome I think fire resistance was in the desert like that kind of stuff made a lot of sense and that has some flavor and feel to it it works in with the 1.20 exploration situation you know trails you know and, and tales so I, I do like that even though it's not personally my favorite um, I think some people will kind of get a lot more out of it uh, I agree with you that I think that if players need to trade with villagers from every biome, then I think that Mojang needs to do a better in-game job of showing that there are villagers in every biome. That doesn't necessarily have to be a village, though. Uh, the Nookie was asking about what our thoughts and solutions might be, and one of the things that I thought up was in a witch hut in a swamp, it could have a cage full of villager prisoners, kind of like a mix of what you see in minecraft dungeons when you have to go around and free the villagers and also what we see with pillager outposts and the allay being held captive i think also iron golems are sometimes in the cages too or at least they used to be and i think that would be a great way to show some villagers that are in a swamp i think the catch there is that i don't think every swamp has a witch hut so you'd have to kind of your mileage may vary, I guess, on that. But if that was the case, then at least if you found a witch hut, then you've got two things. Like one, you can do a witch farm, but you've also now know that there's a couple of swamp villagers and they look different and you kind of have to figure out what that means, you know? And I don't know whether those villagers should be librarians or maybe, you know, one of them could be, or maybe they, neither of them are and you have to breed them until you get one and all that kind of stuff. Um, but that still kind of leaves out the fact that how do you communicate to the player that there is a unique um, enchanted book trade in each biome, right? Like you get to one, but if you don't know what the enchantments are, then you don't know where to go to find them. So there's kind of like this 
give and take swamps jungles badlands and in some cases deserts as you mentioned can sometimes be really hard to come by depending on the world seed i've seen less frequent deserts in um in the worlds since 1.18 since caves and cliffs i feel mm -hmm. like they're harder to find they're bigger i think when you find them uh and they tend to have more of a warm weather uh, biome uh consistency i think we've discussed that before where you tend to see more like jungle badlands and deserts closer together i think i remember that from one of the, the change logs that they were trying to do that so it made a little bit more sense you had less like ice spikes next to jungles and stuff like that uh i think that in the end result you know book trades sped spread across various biomes then the max level villager should at least provide the max level trade Mojang said in the show notes or not the show notes, but the change log that they wanted to track the track to be more rewarding, quote unquote, working towards the best trades, but then you're not getting the best trades from the villagers. And if, I think we are going to have to do the work to either go to various different biomes and set up different villager trades or breed the villagers in those biomes and move them somewhere central afterwards. I think that that amount of effort should be rewarded with max level trades from those villagers because that's a lot of work yeah 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 I, I i kind of agree or at least like efficiency three seems a little bit low and the reason it seems low to us is that the work that you have to put in to combine those books until they are maxed out for your pickaxe you need to combine four books in order to get right. efficiency five and this is the other part of the nuki's email is the the level cap for anvil repairs right now is currently kind of prohibitive and it's something that people have said should be changed for a while even without these additional changes but now if they are revisiting villager trading in the hope of rebalancing things in favor of the enchantment table and you know combining stuff in an anvil then you are going to have to consider at some stage removing or raising the level cap for anvil repairs which is currently at 39 levels and i think there's some aspects of it where i tend to do a combination of enchanting stuff in the table once i get at least a couple of the enchantments i want i maybe add a book or so to that and then that's fine from there um, but a lot of people find the enchantment table so unreliable at getting them the stuff they want you know they're sick of just getting unbreaking three when they roll the table or they're just getting they get efficiency four but then they get silk touch for the 14th time when what they're really looking for is fortune there's elements like that where being able to guarantee what you get would make it a lot less of a pain point for players when they they had to get what they want and there were a couple of suggestions ages and ages ago, I think by some folks who used to be part of our community and have gone on to do like modding and other various bits and pieces of including, say, like a catalyst item that you could put into the enchantment table and that right. might better guarantee that you get Silk Touch along with the unbreaking enchantment that it's forecasting that you get from the enchantment table hover over. And there's, there's elements like that that could be really valuable to players, I think, in order to rebalance things in favor of the enchantment table and not have everybody relying on villager trading. This is the the essence of the Nuki's email, is that it's not necessarily solving the problem, it's solving the way people have gotten around the problem. Uh, and that's not necessarily the way people want to play the game. There's also been the argument made that this is a sandbox game, and so things like this should be easy for players if that's the stuff that they 
want to do in order to get through to the bits of gameplay that make them happy. So getting hold of mending or efficiency or whatever should be easy for players if it means that that doesn't gate their creativity behind having to put the grind in to get all of these different materials. And I know there's plenty of arguments that can be made against that, especially when it comes to playing survival in the first place, but I think there's uh, th there's definitely a little bit of adjustment that could be made here to make it less painful. I think maybe moving the mending book out of a category of villager that the village can't be stumbled upon naturally, or like you said, yeah, adding a, a swamp villager to a witch hut and maybe adding a jungle villager to a jungle temple. Like there are structures sure. there that could very easily be, be part of that. And it could make those structures more desirable to find along with the changes to witch huts that I know we talked about in a previous episode as well. Um, I, I definitely agree with a lot of players who've made that argument that revisiting enchantment table mechanics or, you know, adjusting anvil repair mechanics makes sense. Mostly though, I think I need to actually create a fresh survival world sometime this week and see how these changes feel to play with and not just to talk about, because I expect a lot of people have been looking at this from a theoretical angle and not really putting in the work required to get. Like, if, if I start a fresh world, how quickly can I then cure a zombie villager in a swamp, or get a couple of villagers from somewhere else, bring them to a swamp, and then get myself a mending librarian? Because while we're talking about community knowledge, I think people who are, you know, in the dark about the, the sort of community knowledge pool are kind of outliers. Basically, everybody who plays Minecraft goes to the Minecraft wiki and learns stuff that way, or watches YouTube videos and learns stuff that way. There are very few people who are intentionally trying to keep themselves in the dark, to the point where they have to do it intentionally, I think, because if you if you publish anything online about playing Minecraft, or if you are at all interested in playing Minecraft, people want to share information with you, because that's the kind of community that we have around this game. So just the fact that we're talking about this now is indicative of the fact that people are going to know about going out to get a swamp villager in order to get mending it's just whether or not that feels like fun gameplay or it just feels like another chore that they have to complete in order to play the game the way they want to i like the idea of revisiting the enchantment table and i arrived at the whole idea of a catalyst on my own but i was thinking more about how we do the armor trim currently where you've got different precious stones and items in the game that changes the color yeah uh and there's a new item obviously with the armor trim but with just those items or any other item uh, in the same way that we were talking about having new GUI in the brewing stand last week, I think it was, then having some new GUI in the enchanting table and rather than the random roll, having it be a little bit more straightforward as into if you want a fire you know, resistance enchantment or Frostwalker or you know, whatever it is that you're looking for. Well, Frostwalker is not part of the enchantment table, but let's say efficiency for the sake of an example, and maybe redstone, you know, that's a little bit more straightforward, uh, but it could get more complex. And I like that idea because in the same way, and this is a simple comparison that you can put a stack of items in a furnace and some fuel and smelt something one stack at a time. Once you are beyond that you can learn how to make a super smelter and chain a number of furnaces together using hoppers and all kinds of stuff once you reach a certain level so you can still do it the old-fashioned way and there's nothing wrong with that it's just a little bit longer and uh, you are using your time more efficiently and as a busy adult like the nookie that's a great way to play and i think that 
What's missing from the enchanting system right now is that level of straightforwardness in that there's a lot more work involved in this villager trade suggestion, but the results are arguably better. Like you're going to get different trades. You're going to get higher level trades. You're going to get the exact same trade every time when you go back to that village in the swamp that you made. You know you're going to get mending there. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that what needs to happen with enchanting is it needs to be more straightforward, but, you know, slower than because you, you only have the one station and you have to kind of figure out what you're going to get each time. And if, if you remove the randomness of it and made it viable, albeit slow, then I think that that would make the villagers a more attractive alternative as opposed to the enchantment table right now is not what I want. It doesn't work as I think it should. And now I'm forced to deal with the villagers, which I don't want to, you know, and, yeah. and I for, am someone, if it was a straightforward enchantment uh, setup, I would be probably spending more time doing that because I don't need to go there all that much as an end game player. The odd time I have to replace gear, I'm not going to be spending all kinds of time at the enchantment table. And as an end game player, I also have a reliable source of XP. So it doesn't take me very long to get back up to level, you know, and the enchantment table is right there in the farm. So I think that there's a, a nice balance that could be struck. And I'm hoping uh, as the Nookie uh, indicated in their email that that Mojang is also thinking about the enchantment table if they're revisiting the way that um, enchanted books are traded with villagers and I often think about RPGs, you know, when I think about Minecraft, specifically with the GUI that we've been talking about recently. And I wonder if enchantments could be represented somehow in game, like uh, the skill trees that you see in so many RPGs out there, uh, like a path that you can progress through. And if there was a, something that you could track the progress, if that somehow was attached to the enchantment table so that once you've achieved... Um, you know unbreaking one then you can move forward and all of your roles moving forward are always going to be at least unbreaking two mm -hmm. you know like just some sort of like okay you've checked off box one then you could also use that tree to look and see oh efficiency actually goes to five i would not have known that otherwise yeah and and you could do that in a cool way with uh, lore and 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 pictographics as opposed to like I don't want something like the, you know, advancements tab, but something along those lines that has that tree where you can say, okay, cool. I can now follow this. And if, if you could do something in those, in those GUI elements that indicate like, you know, huh, that looks like a desert village hut next to that enchantment. And that looks like a jungle tree next to that enchantment, but I've never seen a village in a jungle. Like you could do some stuff that wouldn't necessarily be, you know, plopping down jungle villages and swamp villages in the same way that you know you do other villages to kind of entice the player to go through this and make it more progressive as they said like you're getting more powerful as opposed to rolling the dice and hoping for the best yeah like the idea of getting better at using the enchantment table as you use it makes a lot of yeah. sense like if it feels like an incentive to use it and it feels like a fun gameplay mechanic the same way leveling up a villager to get their maximum trades does like it whether it's an a, a level up system like that uses experience in that way or if it's something else it still feels like the player should have more of a handle on these things and there are very few systems in Minecraft that really feel like the player is becoming more skilled 
except just what the player does interacting with the world around them, and largely that is down to the way they use the tools and just learning the quote-unquote optimal way to play the game. So I do, I do agree the idea of, like, having a way that the enchantment table sort of opens itself up to you as you use it more makes a, a very attractive prospect. Uh, let's move on to talk about the the other major change that I feel like more people would be talking about were it not for the fact that mending has been shifted to a different villager entirely. Um, the zombifying discount changes. Um, so obviously you still get a discount for zombifying and curing a villager once, or if a villager starts as a zombie villager, curing them still gets you a discount, but then subsequent zombification and curing no longer stacks a discount on top of that. Is that a mechanic you rely upon at all in the Citadel, or is that something you've avoided doing? Our trading hall was built long before the zombie thing uh, was brought in. I think we, yeah, I, th I think we had it set up long before that. So it, unless it came in at the same time, I'm, it's been so long, uh, but it's not something we can do easily in that particular hall, the way that we have the villager set up. So we don't do it. And we also have a number of villager powered vegetable farms that provide all of the emeralds for trades. So we trade with farmers to get emeralds and we use those emeralds on the other side of the hall to then just get the books and stuff that we want. So we've never had the need to drop those um, those trades to low, low emerald costs because at the time there were still a lot of people working and, and loading Dartmouth Meadows. So those villager farms were just always going. I do run into having low emeralds nowadays, but that's because I spend all of my time in Westell and I'm the one on the server the most. So the the support system for the villager trading hall is not loaded all the time. And so I do run into some stuff like that. But no, I've never bothered with the, the zombie thing. And again, it's one of those situations where I do have the resources at Endgame to do it. I just don't like interacting with villagers that much. And yeah. I've seen some wonderful contraptions. Like I, I don't remember what season it was, but uh, Escalade 5 created a very cool like auto minecart like bring the villager to the zombie get the guy zombified cure him automatically move him back into place repeat the process until the trade was low enough to what they wanted and while i understand that that's not something that every player can put the time in it does create some very cool unique gameplay for people that have the knowledge and the time yeah so um i i feel like I, I like the idea that the mechanic is being removed for the super super low trades like something like a mending book for one emerald feels like way overpowered you know like I, that to me didn't feel fair um, because you can get emeralds even without anything fancy like the new raid farms that are out there for for emerald collection but just using villager farms and trading wheat and carrots like we were able to get plenty of emeralds for mending books that cost 13 you know, and that's a, that was just back back when we were trying to figure out what the trades were. My automated system in my villager trading hall is if you don't have the right trades, you get sent into lava. Yeah. <laughs> like, see ya. You know, it's, it's that kind of old school. Yeah. And in, in my case, I, I definitely made one of the sort of zombification discount machines next to my villager breeder. And that still, like, it doesn't erase the functionality of that contraption because if a villager isn't born as a zombie and then cured, zombifying them and curing them once will still do something. So it's not like it's invalidating the hard work that's gone into contraptions like this in the past. It's just that having a zombie hanging around your trading hall for the conveniences of zombifying and curing them a, a couple of times isn't going to change a whole lot. I'm also curious if this can 
apply discounts universally for all players on multiplayer servers now instead of just for the person who cured them because in that case there would still be a reason to zombify and cure villagers multiple times if you are the one who's feeding them the golden apple yourself and that's led in the past to a few times where you have to trade with the person who set up the trading hall because they're the one who has all of the discounts rather than just going in there and flat trading yourself if you don't have a great deal of emeralds and i'm kind of curious if that's something that they've they've considered um if, if this if it stays per player or if it becomes like a universal thing um yeah the, the zombify discount i am fine with it being quote-unquote nerfed because i haven't relied on it for a while if a villager comes to me as a zombie, or if I, I want to set up a couple of villagers in a place where I don't already have a village nearby, I typically cure zombified villagers anyway. And they still share gossip with each other, so they still get like kind of shared discounts for a short amount of time. And you still get discounts from trading with them repeatedly, even if they later hike their prices up if you trade with them a lot. And the hero of the village is still a thing as well so i like the idea of it being a series of mechanics that you can chain together instead of just the same repetitive thing over and over again and i agree with you it's sort of it's labor intensive it's resource intensive it becomes something like what the nuki was saying in the email about not wanting to just be there repeating the same mechanics over and over again just wanting to get on and play the game I think it's sort of, there's a point at which you have to cut your losses and go, okay, I have to buy this enchanted book or this piece of armor or whatever your desirable trade from a villager is. Name tags, for example, you have to just buy those at whatever price is they, they're giving it to you. And in some cases, some trades, like the important ones, are still within that threshold of being discounted to one emerald or one item per emerald anyway. You can still trade things like pumpkins, melons, iron, gold... Yeah, that kind of stuff. You're not going to get super low discounts on rotten flesh and sticks and th that kind of stuff that's really easy to acquire in large quantities. But it figures. Like, you you have to put a bit, a bit of effort into setting up a maybe an automatic melon and pumpkin farm. You still get a lot of emeralds churning through that way because the initial trade is, like, four pumpkins for one emerald. And so there's only so far you can discount it and, and it makes sense. Even the mending books, I believe, unless they change the price for this switch around of the way the villagers' trades work, like even those are cheap enough books at the base price that they're probably going to end up being one emerald trades anyway with one zombifying and curing. Like that's that's what I've done with the villager who I found in the igloo, and they were a zombie initially, and I I have a a one emerald mending trade from them now. I'm pretty sure. So th there's a little bit of effort that can go into that and you get a, a reward from it. Besides which, if you want the emerald problem to be solved, you build a raid farm. Like, and those stacking raid farms produce an excessive amount of emeralds anyway, and unless those mechanics are, go are going to be revised as well, the power players who want the cheap villager trades are not going to be hurt much by this. Um, I, I do think having the, while we're talking about raid farms, having the opportunity for Hero of the Village discounts to matter again would be kind of nice like it makes mechanics like that more valuable and overall feels like it could be a a fun way of you know encouraging players to think outside the box a little bit and use more of the mechanics of the game instead of just relying on one repetitive one do you think we will see a nerf to the stacking raid farms difficult to say because what those rely on is the calculation of where a villager raid spawns 
uh, and and where the pillagers like appear, and that's something that whatever they change it to could probably be exploited again in much the same way. Like they would have right. to radically reform the mechanics behind raid spawning or just the way raids work in general in order to maybe they could nerf the current designs but then to to avoid a potential redesign that could be just as exploitable it would be difficult i think and without just damaging the raid experience in general for for casual players as well um moving on though to maybe some of the positives that we can take away from this i think just going back to the table that they showed in the snapshot change log i think the way they have chosen which enchantments apply to which biomes is actually really nice like the we, we kind of talked about this with the the stuff that you could find in trail ruins kind of hinting at a story or like you know being able to determine what the inhabitants of that trail ruin did based on the items that they left behind and everything i think that the the way they structured which trades we get is really fun for example snow being a silk touch book trade at the maximum level is kind of cool because you need silk touch in order to get snow layers and not snowballs and like it kind of implies and and ice and stuff like that it kind of implies a way of interacting with their surroundings that feels natural for the inhabitants of that area um the swamp villagers needing depth strider makes perfect sense because most of the terrain of a swamp is water or you know there's it's it's broken up by a lot of water more so than the other biomes would be um the jungle villagers having power feather falling and projectile protection makes perfect sense because they have the trees that you are most likely to fall out of from a great height they are like you can imagine a jungle civilization being reliant on bows in order to you know shoot mobs at a distance or you know, gather food or whatever and then they also have projectile protection for when one of those bows misfires and nearly hits your friend in the eye you know <laughs> like i think i think there's there's some good like you know character that you can draw out of at least seeing these in a table and understanding that yeah a desert villager would have thorns because they're trying to make their armor out of cactus right like i think yeah. i think that idea makes perfect sense to me so i really appreciate the work that's gone into imagining which of these villagers would benefit most from the enchantments in particular even coming down to really subtle things like you often find those church buildings occurring in plains villages, which have an equivalent in some of the other villages, but they are most noticeably church-like in plains. And plains is where you get the smite enchantment and the, the bane of arthropods enchantment and the stuff that's like, you know, does a little bit of extra damage to specific mobs that they might be like trying to keep away. I, I think that sort of stuff really works for me. So I think it's it's a good way of adding character to villages and adding a bit of subtle lore to the uh to the idea of of villages existing in different places i find it funny that you went to the church for the planes and the smite for me i just looked at the planes and looked at the punch smite and bane of anthropods and thought like congratulations you live in a mob farm yeah <laughs> this is where you've chosen to live yeah you think yeah. it's a happy sunny plains but no no when the when the lights go out everything comes out to play and you're going to need all of this <laughs> yeah. for, for your stay yeah. you know including the protection 3 which is the the unique uh, special book for that biome yeah exactly and and that's the cool thing about this is it, it encourages you to like effectively write your own story for why these villagers are trading these specific enchants and so i think that's that's super fun the fact that they've removed things like trident and crossbow enchantments from this is 
interesting to me, but is also a concern for me because when I'm enchanting books in the enchantment table, I find that things like crossbow enchantments come up an awful lot. And I don't know if that's because they increased the weight of them when they added those weapons so that they would come up more frequently for players who already had existing worlds. But I often find that I get completely worthless to me enchantments from the enchantment table. And it's always the, you know, it's it, I get riptide on a book. I get piercing two or something like that. You know, the, the stuff that I don't really want. And so if they are removing those from villager trades, it's going to be less likely that you'd get hold of those books any other way than enchanting them in a table. So if anything, that encourages them to enchant, to, to weight the enchantments for those things higher in the enchantment table. And at that point, I would have my head in my hands because I'm always looking for unbreaking three books from the enchantment table or efficiency that I can combine or something like that. So I, I, I struggle to imagine whether that's going to be a good or a bad change. I really think... The, the problem with it is still that dungeon and fishing loot isn't as reliable for getting the books that you want. Like, maybe if you go down to an ancient city, you find a mending book, but you're not guaranteed to find a mending book there. It could just as easily be something completely different. And what you're going there for is probably swift sneak anyway. So if there was a more reliable way of getting a mending book from dungeon loot chests, if they were more common there, or if you could more easily find them as the burial chamber loot in a jungle temple for example like i, I think that stuff might be uh, might be a better way to balance this against not being able to find the right villager i know that this is very specific to say tools and and that kind of thing but when dealing with something like a toolsmith or an armorsmith versus a librarian how viable would you think it would be to instead of going after the librarians to go after the uh, the toolsmiths to try and get like a couple of pickaxes that are enchanted at a high level and then combine those with your levels instead of going the book route. I mean, that's still an option. It still comes down to whether or not you can get mending for me. Like, oh, I, well, like mending aside. Yeah, mending aside. I was thinking more about like the unbreaking and the efficiency yeah, I mean, and like all that kind of stuff. You typically get something like, you know, efficiency one, unbreaking two. And that's oh, okay. That's the problem where it, it comes down to you can combine those a whole bunch, but the the levels required to get that up to the maximum usability for a player, you know, you combine it once, you've got efficiency two, unbreaking three, and then the unbreaking three doesn't change. But I think that still contributes to the expense of combining them in an anvil, not to mention right. you've got to buy seven or eight of those pickaxes before you combine them to the state where they can get efficiency five. And so, yeah, I, I think that's that's the problem. Again, it comes back to the the repair cost and the combination cost in a, in an anvil. The One of the other positive changes that I liked was the uh, the change to the wandering trader. Yes. Now accepting items. Uh, I thought it was an interesting change. Uh, it makes sense to me that they're getting, you know, stuff given to them because uh, I often now, as I mentioned, don't have a lot of emeralds on me. I believe my current emerald st store was like delivered from cosmic as like a gift because i was struggling on stream you know trying to find um, stuff because I, we use the wandering trader with the vanilla tweaks uh wandering trades data pack that allows me to trade for mini blocks uh, i don't use it for anything else at endgame but being able to get rid of a few things that i might have on hand to the wandering trader um for a handful of emeralds would be great because then you could do it in one-stop shop like you can go up basically empty-handed no emeralds 
but knowing what the wandering trader might want, trade for some emeralds, then trade your emeralds for stuff that you want, and then you're done, you know? And that could be very handy, especially in an early game where like you don't have very many emeralds. And if you do, especially if you're an experienced player and it's a new world, you don't want to break your emerald or down, right? You want to have more emerald um, from villagers. And depending on how often the wandering trader comes around, you might see a wandering trader before you find a village. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I did in Survival Guide. Like, when I started out, I was getting visited by the Wandering Trader constantly, and my problem was always, I don't have any emeralds for you yet, bud. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I haven't been to a village, I'm not going to break emerald ore, because you know me. Uh, so, like, I, I hadn't found any emerald ore at that point either, but the Wandering Trader being able to accept items, huge for the for the Wandering Trader, in my opinion. Even if it's just being able to offload a few items quickly, and you're like, yeah, I've got a few emeralds that I can take over to a village next time. The, the trades come to you instead of you having to go to them, especially with needing to go to different biomes to get specific trades in this snapshot. Um, the fact that he is a trader and not just a seller with these changes, I think is is the thing that makes me, me happiest. And yeah, I, I definitely would have appreciated in the early game being able to trade him a couple of like bottles of water and then be able to buy a mangrove propagule off of him to kickstart my, my wood farm. Um, the items he buys, again, also make a lot of sense. They kind of touch on this in the changelog article, but they're sort of things that will help the wandering trader along in his travels. Like, you give him some hay bales, he's going to feed those to the llamas, because that's the type of food that they like. You know, he uses an invisibility potion every time it night falls. Uh, he now sells those to you, and you can sell him milk buckets, because he uses one of those to make himself visible again in the morning. Um, water bottles and fermented spider eyes are going to be ingredients he needs to brew those potions for himself like it's again really well thought out characteristic it's not just you know throw a bunch of random items that the player is going to have it makes sense that he finds those items desirable and is willing to trade them for currency so i think that's a, a really solid change um and i think adds a bit of character to the trader as well shows that he has wants and desires and and stuff that he needs to to survive in the first place and a few of those things are going to be multi-purpose for you to have on hand early game too right like if you know that the wandering trader wants baked potato and you switch your main food source to baked potato just make a potato farm then you know whenever you see him you're going to have a handful of potatoes that you can just give you know get rid of because you're going to have you know a half a stack or a stack for yourself for food and then you know you're going to be set uh, same with hay bale. Like I tend to grow hay early in the game and you're probably going to have a decent amount of, of hay or a hay bale around. Or if you've um, encountered a village, you've already pilfered it and have like, you know, have a stack of hay because uh, it tends to be in the new villagers. It tends to be a lot. Yeah, I, I haven't seen as well whether or not these new trades are just part of his standard six trades and that, that, that never changes. Or if it's like in addition to that, he will also buy one or two things. Like, I don't know if it's just mixed into the the six trades that mm. he already offered or, or what, but right. um, there's some folks in our live chat are saying it is expanded. That's really good. I think that's that's a, a very good thing to hear because the frustration with the Wandering Trader is also waiting for him to come around with the right trades if you're looking for something in particular. And once again, if he shows up and you know that the option is there to sell him something, but he's not going to have any trades that allow him to buy items off of you, then that's just going to be a, a, another frustration. So I'm glad they've thought of that up front. And the trading menu on the left-hand side on the on the GUI has always felt like it had room for more stuff in there, which is obviously why people with data pack uh, servers and, and whatnot tend to put in 
you know, micro block trades for the player head blocks and all of that kind of stuff. So I think that makes a lot of sense. I think the uh, the Wandering Trader changes are a, a hit with me. Um, it just remains to be seen whether the feedback that they get, and once again, there's a link in the show notes to give your feedback if you have any s- strong opinions about the changes to trading in general in this snapshot and in the bedrock beta as well because the changes have come to bedrock very shortly afterwards um let mojang know and let them know again in a constructive way maybe suggest alternatives if you're not happy with it suggest what you're not happy with whether it's you know just the distance you'd have to travel in order to get a certain type of trade because just telling them you don't like it doesn't really explain to them how they can make this idea work for you um so i really recommend uh yeah keeping your feedback constructive that way and we'll see how this ends up. These are still experimental features, so we're not confident that they'll be in 1.20.2 uh, absolutely as they are, but we'll we'll see how things break down. For now, though, that's probably where we'll leave this episode of The Spawn Chunks. We can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show was composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast, as we have been for the last five years of our existence if you'd like to get some value out of the show why not consider putting some value back in you can visit patreon.com slash the spawn chunks to join our community where pledging at any level will get you an invite to our patrons only discord chat you can listen to the live show recording we record this in discord every week with a little audience of folks uh chatting alongside us and we also have events like our monthly minecraft audio hangout where people can share screenshots of their builds and let us know what they've been doing in minecraft that month we're going to have a mammoth edition of that coming up fairly soon especially now i've got my pc back so look forward to announcements for that in the discord we currently have 310 patrons which is down four from last week but of course patreon has been going through those processing uh delays and issues so it may be that things pick up again as always there is always room for more so we'd love to have some new people welcomed into the discord this week special thanks go out to our content engineer patrons hunter 555 jumbo sale mind trip media party voyager and yitz thank you all for your support on this episode Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on social media. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and let them know that they can listen on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and even YouTube. Be sure to leave a rating and a review on your favorite platform. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page, and that's where you can listen to the Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixlriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where I'm delighted to say the Minecraft Survival Guide is back and continuing its third season after my unexpected hiatus let's say i also stream three days a week on twitch where i do behind the scenes work for the survival guide and other youtube series i also stream a couple of other things throughout the week and i've just started a new elden ring playthrough with my brother-in-law that's an 18 plus series because chris tends to swear a little bit and the game is potentially gory and violent but it's also a bit of a laugh if you enjoy that kind of thing i'm the voice of the unofficial hermitcraft recap which you can find through a quick youtube search and aside from that i'm at pixel on both instagram and whatever twitter is calling itself these days joel where can people find you online? Everything that I'm up to online can be linked through joelduggan.com. That includes the Citadel Cafe, my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. I'm Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I stream Thursday through Sunday. I build Lego on Fridays, and normally I'm in Minecraft the rest of the time. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, but hopefully there's a swamp near you. <laughs>